Rising Coaches is an investment in your professional and personal growth created for coaches by coaches with genuine connections. Become part of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Visit risingcoaches.com today. Welcome to Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. Today, we are breaking down ideas and giving you a strong dose of motivation. Get up and get moving on your dreams with me. I'm the coach, Heather Macy, and I'm ready to coach you and how to live two feet in. Come wine with us at the Wine House on Haywood Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Happy hour, Tuesday through Friday, 4 to 6.30 p.m. 475 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. Joining Two Feet in the Podcast today is Shelly Swan. 20 years in college athletics, from ticket sales all the way to senior associate AD at six different universities, and currently working at Curtis Media Group. What's up, Shelly? Hey, Heather. How are you? Listen, so glad that you're on the podcast. We're going to get this thing started right with the three R's, the rapid reflection redistribution questions. This is the what, the who, and the how, an interesting fact or fiction. Shelly, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What are you drinking these days? Uh, All kinds of red wine, any kind of red wine. I don't discriminate. And who are you Zooming with? Anybody that's added value to your life? You know, interestingly, I have actually done two Zoom calls with a beauty product um, to do at-home facials. And uh, it's super helpful. And I've learned that it's a nice way to be able to connect and not be limited just to your geographic area. So that's been uh, really interesting. And how do you stay motivated? You know, um, it's hard sometimes to stay motivated. And whenever I feel like I need a little extra, I, I have to take a moment and look around, physically look around. Um, and see my family, see what I have, and appreciate. And every time I do that, I stop and think for a minute, like, look at what you've accomplished and look what you have around you. It's all the motivation I need. Interesting things happening. Um, interesting things happening. I am learning a new career, and I think we're going to get into that. But that is the interesting thing in my life right now is rediscovering skill sets and who I am and what I can be. And um, every day, just something new. Final question in the three are, tell us the toughest thing that you've ever battled. Toughest thing I've battled is probably learning to block out criticism and noise um, and staying on a course even that you know is right, even when you're, when you're hearing all this noise from other people. Um, it can be very, very challenging and, and really uh, test your strength. That's been Shelly Swan on the three R's. Okay, Shelly, let's go and dive really, really deep into you were in college athletics in that industry for 20 mm-hmm. years in a variety of different ways. Walk us through yeah. what that daily environment looks like and how you evolved and grew from ticket sales all the way to an associate AD. Yeah, it, it's a grind. So anyone who is not high energy and a, a workhorse, um, it's not for you because it's a lot of, lot of long hours, a lot of long days. A lot of missed holidays, missed birthdays, missed, you know, parties and whatnot because you, you do live the job. Um, and I loved it. I loved every day of it. Uh, I wouldn't change anything that I went through or any of the jobs that I had. I, I did love it. But on a day-to-day basis, you have to have stamina. You got to have the energy. Um, and, and you do, at the end of the day, um, have to be willing to sacrifice things in your personal life. 
All right. So as a female in that industry, so you have a unique perspective on this. A, you know, typically you don't see very many statistically across the country. The amount of division one female athletic directors are incredibly <laughs> low. So you're in an industry yeah. that's male dominated and then working through, you know, is there such thing as work life balance? You talked about having stamina in this industry, <laughs> but being a workhorse balance and talk to us all the way through that. Yeah, I, you know, work life balance is an interesting phrase to me and one that I, I try not to use. I don't I don't like it. Um, Sandy Barber, um, you know, who's just, you know, a model for women going into college athletics. She's fantastic. I listened to her. Or I was fortunate to hear her speak one time in person. And she used the phrase um, work life blend. And I really that resonated more with me that it's not work life balance. It's not I have a life outside of work and then I have my work life and I have to balance the two separately. My life is my life. You have one. And I had to blend my personal and my work life together. So it's a blend because in college athletics, you know, you love it and you live it and it is a lifestyle. And there are some really positive things about it. And one of those things is flexibility of hours. We don't punch a clock. You don't clock in at 8 8 a.m. and clock out at 5. So you can really truly blend. There were times where um, I would leave work at 10 a.m. to go get my hair cut because I know I'm working until 9 p.m. And so that blending of personal and professional all the time, or if I went to meet someone for lunch, um, I was single, uh, actually all 20 years of my career, I was single. Um, And so if I went to have a lunch date, I'd have a lunch date because I knew I was working a basketball game that night, Um, you know, and things like that. And that's where the blend came in. I would have my father with me on sidelines of football games because he was there visiting me and I had to work. So I had to blend my life um, together. And so that work-life blend just for some reason really hit home with me when Sandy said it. And um, I tried to then focus more on that. And how do you blend the two instead of trying to balance two? No, it's, that, that's awesome. So let's, let's go deeper with that. So you're now doing a great job blending as a female. Is there mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. in your opinion when you know, you, you're running to get your hair done at 10 a.m., right? <laughs> and now you've got, mm-hmm. you've got a, a male counterpart making decisions to mm-hmm. go and see his kid play baseball. Did you find differences for you that how you were judged if you were effective or not in the industry? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to sugarcoat it and tell all women listening that no, it's totally equal. Um, it's not. It's not. So go in eyes wide open. Understand what you're getting into. It is still a very heavy male dominated field. And that's not a bad thing. It's not horrible. Men are great to work with. You know, they have really great ideas and great attributes, but you just need to know what you're getting into. And there were times that I felt like I was being discriminated against, I guess is the word. I, you know, discrimination is such a strong word, but I don't think people intentionally discriminated, but I, I did would feel slighted or like um, being treated differently because I was a female. And one story that in particular comes um, to play is I was one of my athletic directors in the past came to me and I was on a senior management team and he came to tell me that he was promoting one of my my the other senior leader management people um, and giving him a raise. And I said, well, that raise is going to put him above what I make. And he said, well, yeah, I know. And I said, and he has way less experience than I do, years experience. He said, yeah, I know, but he has three kids. And I was like, excuse me? And he said, well, he has a family to support. And I did take a second and I said, I know you just didn't mean to discriminate against me for being single with no family. And he said, no, 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 that's not at all what I meant. And I said, I know. And I want to give you the chance to rephrase that because that's how it came across. And he said, no, I just meant 
you know, that um, it was important for him in order for us to retain him. And we think he's doing a really good job. I said, no, I think the guy's doing a great job. I don't begrudge him. I think he's doing a great job. But, you know, to give him a raise because he has to support family, when I've made different life choices, you can see how that would be discrimination. And he said, I didn't mean it like that. I'm sorry. It came out that way. And I said, okay, no problem. A week later, I got a raise and he matched me. I did never ask for it. I'd never said anything else about it. And I wouldn't have. I wasn't going to file discrimination or anything. But a week later, I got a letter that said, your raise has been approved. And I went to my boss and I said, thank you. He said, you made a good point. I said, well, I appreciate the raise, you know, thank you. And so it was things like that all the time that you just kind of took pause with that people would say things or do things or, you know, they'd say like, why can't you just reschedule your hair appointment? Well, any woman knows you can't reschedule a hair appointment. Like you wait six weeks for that thing. Like, no. And then if I didn't get my hair done, I would have been judged for not getting my hair done and not looking professional and put together. So there are these, you know, double-edged swords that you have to kind of work around that I don't think men, men will go to great clips or whatever and have it done in five minutes with a number four, right? That's not what happens with women. So I totally gasped out loud as soon as um, the AD <laughs> said, well, he's got, he's got his large family. So you're college athletics yeah. while being single now married mm-hmm. uh, with a kid. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what would life be like with you? And can you vis- can you even visualize that and talk to our listeners? Now we've got a wide variety of listeners mm-hmm. and it's uh it's male, it's female, it's coaches, it's, it's CEOs, it's people who run in their own business looking for some motivation, but also some direction. And everyone's in different phases. And I think it's seasons of life. So walk us through, mm-hmm. if you were to close your eyes with being uh, married with family versus not mm-hmm. coming up in your career and the differences you could imagine. I believe that if I had been married with, with kids earlier in my career, I would not have advanced. And that's the harsh reality. And that's something that I can look back now and honestly say, I think would have happened. I wouldn't have been able to put the hours in knowing now what I know about being a, I'm a stepmom and a wife about knowing the amount of energy and time that you need to put into those two things to be successful at those things. I would not have had enough time and energy to sufficiently put into being a stepmom and a wife and an associate athletic director. Me personally, there are probably women out there way better than I am who can do a better job at it. I don't think I would have been able to handle that looking back now. And I don't think I would have progressed my career then. I probably would have made different decisions to not work the hours or to not go to the conferences and instead to go on a family vacation or to watch, you know, a a child play an AU tournament instead of going to a lacrosse game. And I think all those little decisions probably would have stopped me from advancing as quickly as I did to the levels that I did, because, you know, I think one of my strengths was that I was really dedicated and I was really present. I went to all of our sporting events, not just sports that I oversaw. I went to all 20 of our, the sports that we had um, and people saw that and they saw how dedicated it was and how much it meant to me. And if I'd had a family and, and children, I couldn't have, something would have had to have given So I may have still worked in college athletics and had a great career, but maybe at a different level than what I ended up being. Um, I heard one person, I can't remember who I attribute this to now, but they said, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. And I do think there is some truth to that. I think you can have it all. Anything that you want in life, you can have. You may just not be able to have it all at the exact same moment. So you can be 
um, a college athletic administrator, you can be an athletic director and a mom and a wife, but maybe at the division three level, maybe it's not at, you know, university of Wisconsin, you may have to give up some things, or maybe you can only have one or two children. You can't have 10 or maybe, you know, I mean, there's different things that you have to compromise on and you have to figure that out in your family and in your life. What are you willing to compromise on? And now that I'm in this role as wife and stepmom, I would not have compromised those things. I would not have. So it would have been compromising in my career. And so I think I, I could have still worked in college athletics, but again, maybe not um, ascended to the level that I did. So if there's college athletic directors listening, I think it's inadvertently done, but would you agree or can you speak to the fact that if a, if uh, let's just say a coach. So a coach mm-hmm. says, a, a male coach says, hey, I'm going to rush out of here. It's important tonight that I make it home so-and-so's birthday dinner, okay? Mm-hmm. Right away, right or wrong, that's applauded. Heck yeah, get out of here mm-hmm. right away, make it there. If you did the same, let's say married Shelly mm-hmm. does the same because you've got a birthday dinner that you've got to make, do you get applauded the same? If so, if not, why? And what advice could you give Maybe it's not an athletic director. Maybe it's literally Mm -hmm. a boss in industry right now. Yeah, I think as a boss, you have to be really careful about your words and about how you applaud people. There's a larger issue with the scenario of society of people expect men to be bad dads and bad husbands. And so whenever they actually act like they should as a dad and a husband, we applaud it. And you're like, no, that's how you're supposed to act. Like, You're supposed to want to be with your children. You're supposed to want to be with your wife. But for whatever reason, when men do it, we're like, oh my gosh, look how great he is as a dad and a husband. That's so sweet. No, that's what's expected of him. You're a dad and a husband, like be there. And so we do tend to like overly applaud when men do it, but when women do it, it's expected. So you're like, well, yeah, that's what she should be doing. Um, And so you need to be careful how you treat that. And I do think that if you want more women, whether it's in your business or in college athletics, wherever it is, if you want more women and you see the value of having women on your leadership teams, then you do have to understand that. You have to understand, you have to give them permission to take that time. And you may even have to force them to go home because they feel like as soon as I walk out of here, I will be judged for being a woman and choosing my family over my career. So if you're truly not judging them for it, and you think they will be a better employee if they have more balance, then you have to force it all the time. And you also have to set an example and do it yourself. You cannot expect your employees to do something that you're not doing. And so I did have an athletic director that would say, I'm not traveling this weekend to a sporting event because my son is playing high school football. And it's important for me to be there. And I have to be honest, there were times I judged him for it and thought, what is he doing? We have large donors on this trip. He needs to be there. This is important. And he chose family. And I did kind of judge him for it. And now that I'm in that situation, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. So he did, by example, set it. And I think it was easier for people to then say, okay, it's okay for me to run home for a birthday dinner. It's okay for me to do this because the boss was doing it. But if the boss never does it, but then is saying, no, it's fine, it's fine, you, you kind of feel like you're, you're in a trap. You're like, wait, is it really fine or not fine? Because he never does it. So if it is okay, which I think it should be, you should have a blend of professional and personal. You have to also have the blend and you have to demonstrate that it's okay. And if uh, a coach needs to go home, whether they're male or female, you better make sure you give the same amount of praise and respect to it. Because again, men, for some reason, if they are a good dad, we think it's amazing because 
society has told us that men are, you know, bad dads or deadbeat dads or whatever, their careers are more important, where women are expected to be that way. So be careful of your actions and that your words are matching your actions on those kind of things. I think that's a great point in differentiating the two, because I, I think that you're dead on with that. And so now let's say that the listeners today are looking for coaching jobs and mm-hmm. butcher. I was in this industry for 20 years, multiple <laughs> schools, multiple levels, and part of the hiring process for multiple sports. Mm-hmm. What are ADs looking for? One that gets you initially in the door. And two, once you get the job, what makes them stick? And what, what coach do you look for that you go, you know what, that was a heck of a coach. What a great hire we made five years after. I think to get in the door, you do have to be persistent. I think a lot of people will send a resume, they apply for the job, they may call once, and that's it. The college athletic industry is really one of who you know, and of those connections. It's a very small industry. And especially if you get into just division one, it's a very small industry. And so you have to have someone call on your behalf. You have to. There is no way. The most recent hire I did was for a head women's soccer coach. And we had over 200 applicants for a job just in the first couple of weeks. There's no way your resume is getting to the top of the pile to be looked at thoroughly um, without someone calling and saying, hey, I know this person. They're good. Can you please take a serious look at their resume? And so then you're like, okay, yes, I will. Because it is all about, you know, the the relationships. And so if someone that I trusted called me and said, hey, I'm not telling you to hire a person. I'm telling you, take a serious look at them. Then I would. If you don't have someone calling on your behalf who has some sort of connection, find one. Because you've got to have someone advocating for you. Um, Now, you don't need 20 people. Don't have 20 people call on your behalf. Okay, then you become annoying. All right. But if you have one, two, maybe even three, I'd say three is kind of a limit. Call and say, I'm a personal reference. I'm a professional reference please give this person a serious consideration. That'll get you in the door. That's going to get you an interview. What you do on that interview is then up to you, but that'll at least get you seriously looked at to see where you match up with it. Once you have the job, and I will say, when you go through the interview process, come in prepared with a plan. And I mean a plan. Like, what offense are you going to run? What defense are you going to run? What type of kid are you going to recruit? Where are you going to recruit from? Who are you going to go after to hire on your staff? You better have all those answers before you come into that interview. Now, it may change. You may get in and be like, I can't run this offense. I don't have the personnel. That's okay. But we want to know that you had a plan, that you have something that you think works and you would like to implement that if we were to hire you. So have a plan, a detailed plan coming in. But it's okay to change later, but have a plan to start with. Once you have the job, things that we look for is a great communicator. And it's a great communicator with your players, but you've got to be a great communicator with your supervisor, with the leadership team, um, with the staff. You just have to be. We are not there every day. And there is a larger and larger trend in college athletics that administrators were never coaches. And a lot of them were never players. I never played college athletics. I never coached college athletics. And I think I was a really good administrator. So I don't think you have to be. But as that trend progresses, we are further and further away from what coaches do on a day-to-day basis. We have probably never been in those shoes. So we need you to communicate often and clearly with us to get us to understand what you're doing. Invite us to practices. Invite us on road trips. Get us to see what you do so we can have a greater appreciation. And that all is about the communication. You've got to be open with the communication and you have to be open even when it's not in your favor. Even when you're like, I messed up 
or this isn't going to make me look good, but this is what happened. Because if you tell us that, we can protect you. We can protect you and help you through it. But getting blindsided is the quickest way to get on the wrong side of an administration team. Do not let your administration get blindsided. So be overly communicating on things. And I don't mean communicating like, help me, help me, help me. I need help. Do this for me. Do this for me. No, I mean communicating with, hey, we had a great practice today. Here are the kids I'm recruiting. I'm going to be gone three days. I'll see you next week. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. I know the status of your program before you leave. Great. Thank you. You know? be a good communicator. And um, probably one of the best hires is that is that most recent one that I made. Um, Jason Hamilton is the head women's soccer coach at ECU. Um, he's doing a great job. I think he's a stand-up guy. I think he's leading that program in the right direction. Um, he had some some things he had to clean up when he took over that program that were delicate and hard to deal, and he, he navigated through it really, really well. And so I, I think that was a really good hire. I'm very proud of, and I think he's got a, a great future as a head coach in, in women's soccer. Um, but there's been a lot over over the years that you know I've, I've been fortunate to either be on the hiring committee or to be a, a direct um, you know person to a chair of the committee to hire someone. And um, they're all different, and every situation is different. And there there are coaches that I've hired at one school that I wouldn't have hired at another because the situation was different. So just because maybe a buddy of yours doesn't hire you into one scenario doesn't mean they may not hire you later down the road. So don't take it as they don't think I'm a good coach. It just means that fit might not have been right at that time. So let's build on that a little bit. So you're Mm -hmm. from the soccer hire. Mm -hmm. So you, so he got this job under different precedent, meaning philosophically, right? Like we all Mm -hmm. as leaders have different things that we want. I think the best leaders are really able to articulate their vision for where they want to go uh, and be able to explain that to, to all different folks, mm-hmm. not just your coaches, but your, your boosters and, and everyone else. So you, so you go there, it's great alignment. Now that coach is sitting there and they have a change of AD or change of president, or it's an assistant coach <laughs> and they have a change of head coach and they get retained, give them some advice and maybe your younger advice, Shelly versus Mm-hmm. older advice meaning if there <laughs> yeah. is not alignment mm-hmm. and and you have lost the synergy how long do you stay and, and how long does it take to figure that out so you're able to pivot yeah it that's really tough it's really tough when you have a change in supervisors bosses right leadership whether it's the president of a university or an athletic director or even just your direct report um whether it's your head coach you know and you get retained or you're the ops person and you get retained and, but your head coach changes, you know, anything like that is, is very challenging um, to go through, especially if there's not a, a real matchup. Like if the person who gets hired has the same philosophy you do, well, good for you. Go buy a lottery ticket because it's probably not going to happen the majority of the time. There was a reason there was a change made above you. Now, maybe the person left because they got a better job, but if they were let go, it was because something wasn't working or someone thought something wasn't working, Right. So you do have to take that into consideration that there's going to be a change because the higher ups deemed that there needed to be a change. So anticipate the change coming. The one thing I would always tell people that I hired in administrative roles, I didn't use this as much with coaches, although it, it can apply, but certainly in, in the um, you know professional workforce, the only reason you have a job is to make your boss's job easier. That's it. If you think about when college athletics started, players coached themselves. And then it became apparent that maybe they needed to have someone dedicated to coaching and there was like uh, one coach. 
right? One coach for the team. It was like, oh, we need the head coach. That's too much time. They need to have assistant coaches. So they created assistant coaches jobs to help the head coach. And then it was, there's too much on the assistant coaches. So now we need an ops person. So the ops person's job was to make the assistant coach's job easier. The only reason jobs exist or are ever created is because the person above you had too much on their plate to handle on their own. And so you were hired to make their job easier. And if you stop remembering that, then you are expendable. So even as a head coach, if you forget that you were only hired to make the AD's job easier, that's why you were hired. Because if the AD could coach the team themselves, they would. But they don't have enough time to do it. So they had to hire someone to coach that team. So you were hired to coach that team, to oversee that area of the athletic department. At the moment where you start making the job harder on the AD because of problems or issues or losing record, then you're expendable. You make the AD's job easier by helping raise money, selling tickets, winning program, no complaints by the athletes, graduation rates. Now you are retained. So that's how you have to think about, am I making my supervisor's job easier or am I making it harder? Because when you start making your supervisor's job harder, you're not going to be there very long. So if you really can be honest with yourself and there's a change in management and you start noticing that you're having more and more conversations with your supervisor that are not matching up, you are probably not the only one feeling that way. Your supervisor is probably also feeling that way. Hey, we're not matching up on a lot of stuff. So now they're worried about you. Now they have to get closer to your program. Now they have to try to work with you to get you to see their side. And what are you doing? Making their job harder. As you go down that path, you can either decide it's their department. They have earned the right as athletic director to run it the way they want. I don't match up in philosophy. Therefore, I will look for another job and leave. I think that's the appropriate thing to do. That's the, in my mind, the mature, respectful thing to do. If it gets to the point where the AD has to say, we're not on the same page, you better really start looking for another job. Because if your contract's coming up anytime soon, you're done. The AD has to have 100% confidence in those head coaches that they will make the decisions the AD once made in a time of crisis when the AD is not able to be there to make the decisions themselves. So if they don't trust you to make decisions that align with them, they cannot have you on their staff. So be honest with yourself. If you're having those conversations where you leave the room thinking we are not on the same page, no. The other party is thinking the same thing. So you may want to start to to look to leave. So getting ahead of it and anticipating the change. But so let's use this podcast as your platform. Mm -hmm. If you you wanted to pick a topic that you wanted to educate the world on and here's your (laughs) platform to go do it. It can be one of your experiences or just something that at this point you're incredibly passionate about and you want to educate the world on it. It's all yours. I think I'm really passionate about that thing I just talked about, that being honest with yourself, being honest with yourself, knowing who you are at your core and being honest is really important. And I think a lot of us get caught up in the tasks we are doing, the images we're supposed to be portraying, the public perception of us, the what everyone expects of me, whether that's family or fans or student athletes or spouses, we get caught up in what everyone else thinks of us to where Sometimes we just start to become that. We start to become what everyone else has told us we should become. And we forget who we are ourselves. 
And I just think it is so important if you ever want to achieve the elusive thing of being happy and feeling successful, truly successful in life, it's only going to come when you are honest with yourself. And once you're honest with yourself, you can then start to be honest with those around you. And that's going to be really hard to have those conversations say, I'm not who you thought I was. I know that's what I portrayed. I know that's what I said. I know that's what I did. And I can see how you thought that's who I was. But I had to be honest with myself and realize that's not me. It's not me. And, it, and I'm okay with it because I want to be who I am at my core. I don't want to be what everyone else wants me to be anymore. And it's hard. It's hard to be that. But the people who I think are, are really successful in life and, and are happy have found peace and being who they are and have surrounded themselves with people who like them as who they are. There's no walls. There's no pretenses. There's no public image, private image. It's one image. You're one person. And if you can't be the same person all the time, you should really think about that. Really think about that. And I think in college athletics, it happens a lot. I think I was in charge of departments that worked with coaches on their image on what they should do and say publicly. And I can distinctly remember, and probably Heather, I said it to you. I don't care, Heather, what you do. I don't care what you think in the locker room. In public, you cannot say that. You cannot do that. We've got to sell tickets. We've got to raise money. We've got to do this. And I need you to say this. And I need you to do this. And I need you to dress like this. I need you to wear more purple on the sideline. I need you to do more and more school colors, right? Because that's the public image. I pushed it on people. I pushed it and pushed it and pushed it on people because I thought that was the way that we were going to get ahead and be successful. And so now to all those people I did that with, I apologize. I'm sorry. It's not right. Be who you are because you're not going to be happy. And the happier people seem to be the more successful people. It seems to match up and correlate like that. So that would be my, what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about getting people to understand truly who you are and then using that to be successful, not changing it. All right. So Shelly, 20 years college athletics now. Yeah successfully working outside of the industry skill sets <laughs> yeah. transfer yeah tell us all who are terrified to get outside of college <laughs> athletics yeah as you know I did as wrote you wrote a book and now mm -hmm. we're venturing into this podcast world the skill set does translate yes but you have to remove the fear tell us about your journey yeah it's scary so scary I was defined as college athletics. That's all I'd ever done. I, I majored in it, got an undergrad degree in sport management, got a master's degree in sport administration. I worked from the time I was in college, uh, 20 years. I never worked in any other field. Um, I was scared to death that no one would hire me, that I had no skills. And that's, that's just a really horrible feeling. Um, and so I had to regroup. I had to be like, okay, what can I do? And I was very fortunate to have people um, around me that helped. And maybe it was a little bit of... Um, I need to hear good things about myself. I was compliment seeking, right? Like I needed people to help me with my confidence and say, tell me what I'm good at. And, it, and from people who are outside of college athletics. Um, and so I did, I had a lot of coffees and breakfast and lunches and even grabbed a beer with people to say, Hey, I'm changing careers. How do you think that will work? You work in private industry. Tell me, like, help me. And everyone was so nice and, and sat with me and talked to me through it um, about, organizational skills, time management skills, managing of people and personnel, um, you know, getting things done, being task oriented. Those are all skill sets that easily translate into almost any industry. Um, being a critical thinker, being able to solve problems. Um, we solve problems every minute in college athletics. I mean, every minute 
whether it's during a game when you're coaching, you're solving a problem on the fly, or it's when you're in the office and you have to solve a problem about how to get a recruit. We're constantly problem solving and usually trying to do it in the most efficient and effective way because we're so busy. We want to do it as quick as possible. Um, And so we're really good at the time management, problem solving, communication. Um, And so I had to then repackage those things on a resume and interviews. I had to repackage them that made sense to people in private industry. I think one of the luxuries I had was I did work in college athletics and most of the world likes sports. And so when I went into interviews and to talk to people, they loved talking about sports. And so it already put me a little bit at ease that I could talk sports with them and then kind of ease into how those skill sets would translate to their business. And so it it was hard and it took me weeks and weeks of meetings and appointments and looking inside myself and writing them down and, you know, looking at scenarios in my life and saying, okay, what skill did I use right there? How can that work in private industry and being strategic about what skills to put out there. But I mean, we preach it to our student athletes all the time. Hey, just because you haven't had a job in college doesn't mean you're not hireable. You were a student athlete, time management, you know, work ethic, you know, come overcoming obstacles. We tell our student athletes it all the time. Yet when we have to leave the, the industry, we didn't believe it of ourselves. And so you need to think about what are you telling your student athletes? And then do you really believe it? Do you believe they're hireable as student athletes never having a job? If you do, then why don't you believe it about yourself? And if you don't, you need to think about not working in college athletics anymore, right? I mean, so you can't have it both ways. Either you believe it because you're telling your student athletes you do and you need to believe it about yourself or you need to think about what you're doing, lying to your student athletes every day. It's very transferable, very transferable. And now that I've been in this new career for uh, about a year and a half now, I now I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do anything. College athletics sets you up to do anything. No one works harder than people in college athletics. No one. I've not come across anyone who does. We work at a fast and furious pace, grueling hours, sacrificing, and dealing with so many diverse people and situations. We are prepared for anything. And you just have to realize that and have the confidence um, to move forward. But you absolutely, absolutely can. So it's a period of time when I was the division one college coach that I think I went through, I don't know if you want to classify it as burnout, exhaustion, mm-hmm. all of the above. Mm-hmm. And I, I worked with a leadership group in Atlanta and I had a conversation with the, the guys and I said, listen, I, I think I need to get out of this. I think I need to go. And, you know, at that point I was like, I, I just knew my skill set transferred. Like I was really, really confident about it. So mm-hmm. we finished this long conversation and he sent me what it looked like a three page email the following day as to reasons why I should not get out of college athletics. (laughs) And so honestly, I think I, um, I lost my courage because at that point Mm -hmm. I I did feel like I was, you know, I wanted to walk away on my own Mm -hmm. and it just every single day I wasn't, I didn't have the happiness or the joy coaching anymore. Like, like you used to when you first got into it because professions do evolve and change. So I went on this big speech and every time I got in front of a, a group, a a philosophy of every 15 years, reinvent yourself, Mm -hmm. change, change careers. And I will just tell you as someone, as you are doing, and I Mm -hmm. have done in in different respects, not, not, Mm -hmm. not all the way, but pretty back on close that uh, every way makes sense from a, you're stimulated, you're Mm -hmm. uh, more interested, you feel more creative. And if you just take the element of the financial and the retirement piece out of it, Mm -hmm. 
from yeah. a happiness perspective and a perspective of um, just feeling completeness every day, I think it's a great thing for people to do is switch careers, forget coaching or the college athletics. I'm saying in general, switch your careers to stay away from being stale. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could not agree with you more. I think you said it really well. You get stale. You know, my parents were both public educators. They were, you know, middle school and high school teachers. And so they did it for 35 years. And this, and my dad in the same classroom. Um, and so, you know, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that, right? Like, how did he stay fresh? How did he keep things new? How did he do all that? And so 20 years in college athletics, I moved schools, right? I changed physical states. And every time I moved schools, I got a little refreshed. I got a little like, okay, new challenge, right? But even that eventually burned off where I was like, yeah, it's a new school, but it's the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. And so I do think it's important to really think about it. And like you did, I mean, I'm not saying you have to do what I did and completely change industries, but shift something, change something, try something new, do something slightly different to where it causes your mind to have to think differently um, and wake part of it up that has been stale. Uh, I, I just think that's a healthier way. And I think it's a more progressive way. Um, and I think it's a more successful way. I think if you listen to, or you, you know, talk to any of the people who've been in jobs for the same job or the same company for 20, 30, 40 years, they have probably changed departments. Um, so if I was working in ticket sales and I said, Hey, I want to go work in compliance now, that would be a change of career. So you're still in college athletics, but you're changing fields within it that could reinvigorate you. Um, going from being a coach to being an administrator, that could reinvigorate you because it's a new challenge and a new process. So you don't have to get out of college athletics, but maybe change something. Instead of working on a college campus, go to a conference office, go work for the NCAA, go do something different um, that makes you think critically again and gets you out of thinking, I've done it all. I know it all. I've tried it all. Or that's the way we've always done things. Or because like you said, we're ever evolving. Industries are ever changing. And as soon as you stop thinking that, then you're going to be behind. You're going to be behind everyone else. And so it's really important. And, and I say 15 years is probably about right. You know, probably at 15 years for me, I was starting to kind of be like, man, it's the same thing. I'm doing the same thing, you know, and I stayed another five, which was probably too long. But, uh, you know, you really got to, again, look at yourself honestly and say, okay, am I still loving it? Do I still have the passion? And if I don't, what can I tweak? What can I change? What can I add? What can I do differently to get that passion back? Because if you don't have that passion, it becomes evident to people around you. And it also becomes um, weighing on yourself. And so, yeah, I I think that'd be a great idea for people to do. And again, mind the um, retirement funds and the financial side of it. You can make that work. I I changed careers and I'm a pretty honest person. As you know, I gave up 25% of my salary. So I I took a 25% salary cut when I changed careers and I could not be happier about it. Could not be happier about it. All right. So you lead people, uh, you manage people. Mm -hmm. We all are readers and hopefully listening to podcasts for motivation. So (laughs) you give someone you fired up about it. You're going to start your new diet Mm -hmm. and Monday rolls around. Give us some techniques to go from a state of motivation into a state of action. Yeah. I I mean, I'm kind of old school in this. I think there's two ways, the carrot and the stick, right? You can either reward people for their action and positively reinforce or you negatively reinforce. Um, I'm more of a positive reinforcement person. So I think you need to praise heavy when things are going well 
to reinforce those actions. And you need to be a little softer when they don't. And you need to say, okay, that wasn't your best day. You cheated today. You had the piece of chocolate cake, right? You had the piece of chocolate cake. It's okay. We're human. We all make mistakes. It's what you do after the mistake that is your character. So are you going to quit or are you going to keep going? Are you going to realize that one little hiccup doesn't define an entire action, right? It doesn't derail you from your goal because you had one little slip. And so the next time they do something right, you overly praise, you overly praise, overly praise. Yes, reinforce that positive behavior. Um, so I like the positive reinforcement and I work in an industry now where we positively reinforce with money. So you do something right, you get a bonus, you get an extra check, you get commission, you get whatever, right? So we're positively reinforcing with money. When you don't do something well, we don't fine you. We don't make you pay us. You just don't get the positive reinforcement. Um, and so then I work with the people to say, okay, listen, you want that money? You're in this to make money. Let's think about how we can tweak your actions to get you there um, with, with the carrot being the way that we're doing it. I would also caution people that um, a lot of people get into thinking that they're going to manage their staffs all the same. Humans are not the same. So I have a staff of six right now full time. I manage every single one of them differently. And this is why managers get paid more money, right? Because we realize that every person cannot be managed the same way. And it takes extra time, and extra preparation um, with each staff member. I wish I could go into a staff meeting and say it once and everyone got it. But it doesn't work like that because they all hear and learn differently. And so I have to go individually with them and say it differently or work with them differently in order to get them to their goal. So I, as a group, want my team to hit an overall goal. And to hit the overall goal, I have to have them each hit their individual goals. And I know collectively then we'll hit our overall one. Very similar to college athletics. You need every player on your team to hit their individual goals. And if they all do, you will hit your collective goal as a team. But each player has to be managed differently. And what happens in college athletics that I found was players would cry, that's not fair. We're not being treated the same. No, you're not because you're not the same people. Okay, so you're not going to be treated the same. Being treated the same and being treated fairly are two different things. Treat everyone fairly, but not the same. They're not the same people. You cannot motivate them the same and you cannot get them from being stagnant to action the same way. They each need an individual plan, which takes time and energy on your part but then can end up reaching your goal. So if it's worth it to you to reach the goal, you got to take the time to learn each person individually and have a individualized plan for them. Okay. That's all amazing stuff. All <laughs> right. Finish up. Mm -hmm. let's, let's finish this podcast by mm -hmm. giving everyone out there a daily dose of motivation. I would say don't limit what you can be by only seeing what you currently are. There's so much more to people. There's so much more to you as a human, as a contributor to any company or any job that you have. Do not limit what you can be by only seeing what you currently are. If you are only a director of ticket operations right now, you're not only a director of ticket operations. That's what you are right now. That's not what you can be. You can be an athletic director. If you are only a video ops person right now, it doesn't mean you can't be a head coach. Don't put those limitations on yourself. Use them as stepping stools. So, Really be cautious about, is it you limiting you or is it other people limiting you? And I think what you will find is that most of the time we're limiting ourselves by defining ourselves as what we currently are instead of really being able to visualize what we can be and how to get there. Thanks to our guest and friend, Shelly Swan, for being two feet in, reminding us to anticipate change coming and to remind us all that happier people 
are the most successful people. Visit the show notes to learn more about Shelly and to reach her directly. That's been Shelly Swan on Two Feet in the Podcast, where ideas and inspiration meet to produce action. If you're looking for a career, not just a job, we're now hiring CDL Class A drivers at DMX Transportation in Duncan, South Carolina. Apply online at www.shipdmx.com. A big thank you to all of our guests for breaking down ideas, giving a strong dose of motivation, and helping us learn to live two feet in.